On today's show, we are joined by Anthony Doyle, Head of Investment Strategy at Firetrail. Good morning, Anthony. Hello, Nathan. How are you? I'm fine. How are you doing? Good, thanks. And we're also joined by Chris Weston, Head of Research at Pepperstone. Good morning, Chris. Good morning. How are you? I'm good, good. Thanks. And hope you're doing well, too. Good. Um, Okay, so let's start. After the inflation numbers in the U.S. uh, from last week... It seems that we are getting that moderate or disinflation, as people like to call it, but certainly the moderating of the inflation numbers. Do you think it's time now for the Fed to pause or do you expect there's still to be one more rate hike in September? And we'll start with you, Anthony. Nathan, that was an interesting news bulletin you had about the uh, MMA fight between Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg. And uh, certainly markets are having their own fight um, and economists between a recession in the United States in a global downturn and uh, those that think uh, potentially inflation is more sticky and we will see more rate hikes. Now, for us at iTrail, I mean, we, we expect uh, inflation to decelerate further, but certainly the real economy is proving more resilient than had, had been anticipated. And for us, we agree with Chair Powell that policy is in sufficiently restricted territory, and he said that even before the latest rate hike from the US Federal Reserve in July to 525 and 5.5%. So we do think that monetary policy is effective. It will operate with a lag, and we do expect um, some economic slowdown to begin towards uh, Q3 and Q4 of this year, meaning that, uh, yes, uh, the, the Fed is probably warranted some time now to pause, um, and as uh, as Chair Powell has mentioned, you know, very much data dependent from here on out. Chris, it's hard to hard to argue with any of those points. To be fair, um, and the markets certainly have the view that we get a skip now in in the next Fed meeting on the twenty seventh, uh, sorry, the twentieth of, of September. We're pricing about two basis points of tights, which is about ten percent, if you want it on a very simplistic basis, but. Yeah, I mean, I think data dependency um, is, is very much the, 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 the aim now. Um, you know, I think the next payrolls report comes out on the 1st of September. Um, yeah, we're going to learn anything from that. We get you know, spluttering through. But then the big CPI number um, comes out on the, tw- on, the, on the 13th of September. And there are signs that that may rebound a little bit. I mean, if you look at CPI fixings, which offer you know, market distance uh, an ability to bet on um, an exact um, CPI print. Um, they're, you know, the market's pricing the next headline print on the 13th of September at uh, 3.6%, which would be a, a 40 basis point increase. Um, so, yeah, there are some signs that, that, that inflation may creep up a little bit, um, or certainly on a headline basis anyway. Um, but, yeah, I think uh, ultimately you know, everything we've been seeing recently suggests that there's going to be a skip. The question is, is more about uh, the November meeting. There is no October meeting, but you know, is there a propensity for another hike in, in, in the November meeting? That's the one that if you're, if you're a stir trader, you'd be looking at. At the moment, it's kind of, about a 40% chance for hike. So the incoming data that we're going to be seeing from payrolls, um, you know, other splutterings, and then CPI on the 13th of September will probably dictate sentiment towards November. But at all intents and purposes, you know, we're pretty much done in the market, so I said. You look at the job numbers, I mean, or the wage growth, I think, which is quite a key gauge for the Fed in terms of what they're going to look at in terms of raising uh, rates or not. Those are still pretty high. And now you've got energy prices creeping up again. So, and as you touched on, CPI numbers will likely creep up for next month. Does that not warrant just at least one more hike there, Chris? 
Not at the moment. I mean, I think maybe, yeah, we, we, we could explore that once, the, you know, the Fed see the realised uh, situation play out. Uh, but again, for the November meeting, I mean, you go to someone like John Williams, who was talking last week about real rates moving up, and they may need to cut rates in, in, in 2024 to try and yeah, bring real rates down a little bit and, and, and you know, go through a normalisation process. But, yeah, I think for now, um, yeah, with, with the lag effects, you know, the guests just talked about, you know, there's enough there to sit, sit on my hands and, and wait for more incoming data to, to come through. I think the, the average hourly earnings side of things where we saw that coming out uh, yeah, last month at 4.4%, a lot of that was down to the fact that people are working less hours, so that's why the average hourly earnings are going up. Yeah, you can look at things like yeah, the Atlanta Fed wage tracker and employment cost index. You know, they've come down a little bit recently. So I think yeah, there's enough enough reasons now to to show your hands. But I think if you if you're looking purely at average hourly earnings as part of the the non-farm payroll subcomponent, there, um, a lot of that is really down to the fact that, that people are working less hours, which is, is boosting yeah you know, the average hourly earnings component there. But Anthony, as Chris touched on, while people are working less hours, the unemployment rates um, very, very low, and I'm talking same as the historical lows. So it's not necessarily a case of people working less hours, but you know, um, we're, but, oh, should I just say it's a lot more, maybe more people working, but with higher wages, and that's got to filter through into some sort of concern for the Fed. I mean, from what I understand, I think it is the job numbers that matter more than necessarily the CPI on its own. Um, would I be wrong there, Anthony? Well, you know, if you want to see a um, uh, a weakening in the labour market, it's important to bring GDP growth back um, below potential. And uh, you know, Chair Powell has been saying for some not time now that policy is restrictive enough to engineer that. And if you look around the U.S. economy, you know, there's signs of slowdown already clear. Um, in the key interest rate sensitive sectors like equipment investment, housing, durable goods consumption, and economists are, are revising lower their expectations for US GDP growth, and that will flow through into the labour market. Um, so this is probably as good as it gets in terms of the unemployment rate, and we are seeing some more positive numbers on such as average hourly earnings, for example. Uh, and we are seeing households start to pull back um, on that services spend, uh, much like uh, we've seen in the goods component of inflation, which has now started to experience disinflation. And that's, uh, that's something that we continue to expect, particularly given as interest rates operate with those long and variable lags, we will see uh, a tightening in household balance sheets and business balance sheets as well, um, resulting in a, a slowdown in the US labour market. So let's move on. And I mean, we can continue on the rate interest rates but let's move let's say onto a more global uh, outlook I mean, you've got UK tomorrow announcing some key numbers that could probably point to further interest rates and over there I mean Australia's been um, maybe a little bit behind in terms of how many rate hikes but they've also been raising rates what are we seeing uh, what are your thoughts on the global situation as a whole um, start with you Anthony this time well certainly we're closer to the end of uh, rate hikes than we are to the start now, a lot of uh, work has been done in terms of removing policy stimulus um, on the monetary side, but the fiscal taps are still firmly turned on. Um, so you've got this push and pull between fiscal and monetary policy, and today monetary policy is really the only game in town. So uh, certainly central banks are closer to the end of their hiking cycles. The market is looking through that. Um, in terms of the UK... Obviously, it's a stagflationary environment, um, and uh, you know it's a really a um, 
uh, a punch in the, in the nose for themselves uh, in undertaking Brexit, um, and that's had inflationary uh, impacts as well as the uh, war in Ukraine, for example. Here in Australia, um, the RBA has paused. Uh, they're very concerned about the impact of rate hikes on the Australian housing market. Household balance sheets in Australia are amongst the most leveraged in the world. And again, um, when you, whether you're talking about the Fed, whether you're talking about the Bank of England, whether you're talking about the RBA, very much data dependent. Um, and today, I would say a lot of economists still very surprised at just how resilient labour markets have been and probably reflects more the flexible nature of working today. So businesses, rather than laying off workers, um, are keeping workers on the books um, for a time at which point the cycle turns so they don't have to rehire again. Chris, any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, if you want to see an act, you know, if you look at where, where rates traders are seeing some, some further action, it's, it's really in the UK and, you know, with core inflation expected to be at 6.8%, down about 10 basis points um, this week, then, and, 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 you know, after their GDP numbers last night and, you know, last week, and of course we've got wages as well to focus on. Um, yeah, the, the market's saying, well, we could probably get two more rate hikes from the Bank of England, probably out by February next year. But saying that, you know, elsewhere, you know, the ECB are, are pretty much done. We might get one more rate hike by the end of the year. The RBA, well, we've got 17 basis points, uh, so about a 70% chance by March next year. There's a bit of a premium priced in. But, you know, really against G10, it's really sit on your hands type situation and wait for, for, new, inc- uh, for, for new data to come through. I will take a, a slightly... Slightly different approach, you know, in terms of monetary policy being the only game in town. I think, you know, last week we did see um, you know, a lot of focus on, on commentary from, you know, the CBOE and obviously from from various factors about fiscal deficits. And it's not new news. I mean, there's all this stuff in, in the US specifically about, um, you know, the deficits and, and you know, government spending effectively. Um, you know, it's not it's not something that, that necessarily we learned a lot, but the market seems to have changed its tone a little bit because the U.S. Treasury Department had to go out and issue um, you know more debt than what it's expecting, and, and they will do for some quarters going forward. And that additional supply, given the funding of the deficit and its interest payments, I think has has really been a major driver of, of, of 10, 30-year Treasuries, and also in you know, going into into the gilt market as well. We've seen you know big moves up in, in UK gilts, European bunds, German bunds, should we say. And that steeper of the curve, I think, is, is starting to see um, you know, quite vulnerable vulnerabilities emerge in, in, in tech. You know, tech did well when rates were rising, um, but now we're seeing supply being the main driver, and of course, you know, term premiums being changed because of the Bank of Japan action. Um, there's starting to be some really big cracks emerging in, in a very concentrated position in names like Nvidia, Apple. The S&P started to break down. The, the, the Nasdaq started to break down. The options expire this week, but I think that's an interesting one. It's you know, this, this government, this, these deficits, which, which which you knew about, which seems the market's now looking at because of the supply. Um, the back end of the curve's really started moving up, and I think that's starting to to weigh on some of these sort of um, long duration assets and stocks. So then, moving on to the markets, then um, as you've said, we've generally had the large caps drive a lot of the gains in the in the major markets. Um, but small caps and mid caps have actually lagged. So, do you think there'll be some sort of um, rotation now, getting out of the large caps as as they start breaking down, or do you think that it's just all the markets will potentially be quite weak? Oh, Chris, um, is that for me? Yeah, Chris. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
it's interesting. I'm, I'm not giving up on names like Nvidia and and, and, and Apple and these, these. I mean, these obviously are post earnings for, for a lot of them. I mean, Nvidia still needs to report uh, later this month. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not giving up on, on, on this beta. One thing that we do need to concern ourselves with is just the sheer amount of positioning that's gone into this. I mean, it's been a momentum beast. And, you know, for people out there with cash that wants to go in the equity market, you just buy winners. And, of course, that has meant it's very concentrated leadership group. So if we were to see that you know, unwind, I mean, this idea of dancing in the disco, you want to be the first or closest to the exit point, you know, if the fire breaks out. So, you know, that's something we are watching. Oh, yeah, how... how how aggressive could this unwind be, or is it going to produce itself as a buying opportunity? But whether this capital, if it is to go elsewhere, is, is to go into small caps, I'd, I'd be sceptical of that situation. Um, you know, if you look at the Russell, for example, you know, a lot of that's down into banks. Are we going to start seeing banks really outperform? And they've done all right recently, but are they going to continue outperforming? Um, or are we just going to see further de-risking? Is, is, a, is a move out of high-growth tech AI going to see higher volatility, which just sees volatility funds move, move away? So, yeah, I think that's that's a really important point now. Is you know, does this does this manifest into something a little bit more punchy, uh, or does it present itself a buying opportunity? Of course, that's what we're going to be exploring this week. Um, Anthony, final word with you. We've got about thirty seconds. Um, what about your thoughts? Do you think there will be rotation into small mid caps, or do you think we just stick with those winners that have been the large caps? Yeah, so I helped to manage a global equity portfolio, concentrated, high conviction, 30 companies. And uh, we're seeing the best opportunities in global mid and small caps today um, outside of those expensively valued tech names that have driven the market for most of this year. And they're trading at extremely cheap valuations. But what I will say is that the current market environment you know, really is an environment that uh, you have to you know, look bottom up. You have to be active. It's no longer a case of, beta chasing or simply allocating to markets because, as Chris says, you know, there will be winners and losers in this environment, particularly with a higher cost of capital, and you have to be very discerning about where you are investing today, um, and more so than at any time over the course of the last decade. All right. Well, that's unfortunately all the time that we have. Uh, that's, all the, that's all the time we have at the moment. Um, I'd like to thank Anthony and I'd like to thank uh, Chris both for coming on. It was a very lovely chat.